But this should be something every company and every development team or research team already should have in mind. Because I guess today we are concentrating about recycling. So we produce products without even taking not too many thoughts on recycling. And then at the end, then we see what we have and <laughs> how we can put it into parts. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind Machines in the Gradient Descent. Thanks for tuning in again to listen and to learn. We are Uli and Avery, and we're super, super excited to welcome our today's genius mind, Johannes Forsama. He's the head of R&D automation for cement and mining for Siemens Digital Industries Process Automation. And in addition, Johannes is also the project lead for Sematic Easy which is a truly entrepreneurial journey on the interfaces of human and AI. So let's see how that journey went. Johannes, it's super great to connect to you. How are you and where do we catch you today? Thanks um, for the invitation to this podcast session. I'm sitting at home uh, in front of my uh, newly created uh, desk. So I restructured my home office a little bit due to the circumstances. And uh, I feel great. A little bit nervous about the questions, but uh, we will see. <laughs> oh. We will try our best. <laughs> um, so, Johannes, let's start with an easy question. Can you quickly describe yourself to the audience and tell us how your path led you to Siemens? Okay, so the very brief <laughs> explanation would be uh, I was a student and I was searching for any kind of job to uh, get some money. And um, a friend told me that a working student at Siemens would not be the baddest idea. And so I was there as a working student for two years and afterwards was able to write my diploma thesis there. And yes, and then uh, got the job. So what is the diploma thesis actually? What was that all about? Uh, it was on a simulation of a process in the cement industry. So we basically simulated the crushing and uh, the raw material grinding to see how we could um, benefit there. Yeah, and the traditional working students, right? Working students are, you know, driving and leading the digital transformation of any large corporates, isn't it, right? So it's a good start, <laughs> I guess, right? Yes, they are programming the Excel macros. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, but, um, you know, before you obviously went to your job, right? I guess, you know, if you, if you pull a bit back, uh, you see that, especially in, you know, in current times, mindfulness and being thoughtful to yourself, right? But also, maybe especially because we're all sitting now in front of computers and, and our devices, digital devices, somehow a, a digital detox moment is super important, right? To, to recharge, yeah. you know, a bit of the energy. And we just learned that you returned actually from a very interesting break, right? <laughs> from software development up out in the nature. Can you, can you tell us a bit about, you know, what brought you actually to the point where you said, like, okay, let's make a detox? And somehow what is, you know, the important steps it took to get that started, right? Or what were the thoughts about it? Can you share a bit? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, I thought about taking a sabbatical of uh, two months and doing something for myself with really disconnecting from what I do at work. So uh, <laughs> sitting in front of computers, as you said. And personally, I'm, I really like to go into the forest and also do some gardening stuff but it's more like trial and error. And I um, was thinking if I'm, I'm, I'm happy or 
yeah, taking advantage from trying to be a gardener. So what could it be like? So that's why I took two months off and then went to a tree nursery, worked there for seven weeks now. And it was, it was really a great time there. Yeah, I guess it's super recharging and rewarding doing something, right? Something yes. And after now with the Corona crisis, uh, sitting at home, it was a great uh, alternative to leave home each day at uh, six o'clock. <laughs> that is true, right? That's COVID safe, right? Getting uh, being alone somewhere in the in the middle of nowhere, right? Uh, that's actually pretty nice. So I, I I do remember, right, when we last time met, we were somehow you know still on, on somehow the journey on the entrepreneurs bootcamp on AI an initiative, right, which is driven by crazy people pushing entrepreneurial spirit in corporate, say entrepreneurial, right? What is for you if you look right, and I I, I consider you for sure one of the entrepreneurs, right? Where we have in the corporation right what is for you an entrepreneur do you have do you have a feeling on that yeah yeah this is a very good question i would say that for me an entrepreneur is someone who is regardless of his role and area of responsibility someone who is driving a new idea or opportunity that he or she sees with passion and this as it uh, was his own money or a company so uh, actually, uh, you know, in corporates, you are not the decision maker. You don't have the responsibility for something. But still, if you act as someone who would have, then for me, this would be an entrepreneur. And it doesn't matter for me what um, this guy or um, this girl is driving. So it could be an internal, external product or even a business model. Right. Johannes, what would you say? Can you be an entrepreneur in a large corporation like Siemens without committing to any risk or without any personal commitment. So what does it really mean to embrace uncertainty and risks within corporates? Is it somewhat <laughs> different? I, I would say it does not work without personal commitment. So if you are not committed to what you do or what you want to do and uh, your management does not see it, then it, it won't work at all, I think. And um, taking risks is a really... Uh, interesting because we don't like it too much in large organizations. And we're also a little bit uh, afraid of really truly saying, okay, we, we did a failure or made a failure. I would say it works out, but anyway, the, the management um, has to take the risk for you. But the personal commitment is one of the things that you need to have. Is that doable? There was I, I followed one one of the largest entrepreneurs in Germany that we have actually, and he said like you know if you are not willing to sell your house right to chip into your idea, you can't be an entrepreneur right. If you're not going the full pass on you know taking the personal risk like financial right significant risk you know you you're not having the push the power the strive for making this business a success, which you want to create, right? Behind it here. So do you think that without this crazy risk, right, which affects directly your person, maybe also because of the marvelous entrepreneurs I know, right, they all have a family, you know, they are not, maybe not 80, <laughs> right? They are, they are somehow right in yeah. the middle of their life, right? But then they are to try, right? Is that doable? What I think is, is just, you know, if, if you always have this extra, you know, safety belt on it, right? That is that maybe the handicap why certain initiatives just don't get that fast, that scale, that you know, craziness in. Yeah, sure. So I think the more risk you have to take, the more selective <laughs> you are, and uh, I guess the better the entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs are. 
So whenever you have, as you said, the safety belt, you would maybe step back at one moment and say, come on, let it go. It's too much effort to drive it further. And so the more you can lose, um, the better you would perform. Sure. And there, there's actually a nice journey, right? Also, when we, you know, I think you were one of the first entrepreneurs bootcamp, right? Where we, we touched back and where you, you had the ideas with your team on easy, right? Which is now, I guess, called officially, right? Simotic easy, isn't it, right? Yeah. So that's quite a journey, actually. Can you, <laughs> can you give us and the audience, you know, a bit of the past? What was that actually like from idea to, I, I hope, actual sales, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, we have to go back into uh, 2017, and we started as a team of four, and we just had the idea of Alexa for industry. So I guess this is not the new thing, but three years ago, it, it really was, and there was also nothing on the market. And then we were uh, searching out for uh, initiatives and for investors internally, of course, and the, the bootcamp was our let's say, big kickoff when our head of PA, Process Automation, Eckhard Eberle, he signed in as investor. So there, the journey officially started. And uh, actually, we had a lot of time that we worked besides our normal tasks and jobs that we had. And for us, it was to lose the whole project and that nobody will uh, implement it and uh, bring it uh, on its way to a product. So we're back to Uh, if you risk something. So we at least invested a lot of time and we tried to bring it further. Right now we are a product and maybe just really in the short, what is Simatic easy? Simatic is just because then for the uh, branding, it's it's easier. <laughs> Almost every product is called Simatic, isn't it, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it changes that. a little bit now, but uh, yeah, actually under the brand of Simatic, you can, you can uh, have a lot of, so it doesn't care. But what we wanted to create is a, a different way of interacting with industrial products. So I don't want to say speech recognition or chatbots because, you know, these words are often related to any kind of hype or software that is not really suitable. So we wanted to decrease specific knowledge people need to interact with our industrial products. So these HMIs are often not that user-friendly. And in many cases, first-level support like getting an information, getting a, a specific technical document would be sufficient for them. And that's what Simatic Easy does. So um, you use your mobile app, use speech or chat or QR codes, and then you get what you need. Nice. And released since? We released the first version in June. So we are releasing a new version each month. Um, that means it's also very different to other products that we have. So we are really like in very short release cycles. Sounds really cool. And Alexa for the industry, quite a journey also. What would you say were the three lessons that you learned throughout that journey, that path? Can you maybe share them with the audience? So if I have to select three, the first would be that you need a lot of flexibility and uh, perseverance. So you have a plan, but you have to adjust the plan multiple times. And it took us three years from idea to product. Therefore, it's not always just you have the good idea and implementation and then you go. So 
especially the larger the cooperation, the more difficult it gets. Secondly, I would say you should always review what you do and if you do things right. So not just because things are going well, you're doing everything right. And the third one, because the first one seemed to be quite negative, the third one is that despite the first two lessons, uh, you should always stay positive and believe in what you do. Right. Inspiring and pushing through, even if it's hard to never lose yes. the optimism. Exactly. Yeah. Sounds good. So you're working in the area of process automation, and it must be very, very exciting for different flavors of AI technology, like ranging from simulation, meeting machine learning over process efficiency or predictive maintenance to obviously companion technologies, as you mentioned. Can you maybe share some of the AI or machine learning use cases that you see in the area of process automation and that you are excited about or thrilled about? Today, I think we're really, I, I don't know, you, you know as well, Uli, I guess we're using AI for multiple tasks or developments where we want to make processes more efficient or operation more efficient or whatever. I think that is not, not new. I think about, yeah, we will be less and less in resources that we can use in the future. And I guess from my perspective, environmental challenges that we need to solve will grow year by year. And it's not only electrical power, but also like raw materials. So I'm in the area of cement and mining. And you know, especially gaining all the raw materials is uh, gets more and more difficult. And therefore, I think that uh, we should use AI to use it already in the product developing and uh, prototyping phase to predict the outputs or predict production before we produce a single batch so we're using a lot of resources during prototyping and whatever before we even know what we have at the end. So I think AI could be very useful and also simulation to say, well, let's if we want to develop a product, we could simulate and predict a lot of things before we use the, the limited resources that we have on this earth. Mm. Like the process digital twin, right? We, we just recently talked about a health digital twin, right? Because they, they have the notion of, you know, we, we want to test certain analytical capabilities, but also, you know, on, on personalized medicine level, right? Before we actually do it with a bit of patient together, right? And we can somehow then uh, estimate and, and forecast and assess, you know, how, how feasible it is or what's the impact level. And the same, I guess, goes also for the production uh, side, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that that's a nice theme, actually, a nice bridge, actually, to you know, because process automation is very close to a very, you know, having a holistic, obviously, you know, uh, view on the entire life cycle of production, because you know, production processes, process automation, you know, these kinds of aspects. Do you have any thoughts on a concept of circular economy, and maybe its interrelation of how do we change and uh, you know impact on sustainability? Because it's, I think it's super interesting at current time, at least from my side, limited view obviously here is, you know, we design certain processes in realizing a product means like how can we, you know, being very efficient in producing it and, yeah. and maybe also testing in, checking on the real world, how it's being actually being used 
yeah. and or let's say consumed, right? Yeah. On consumption level, right? But if we look on the entire cycle, like 360 degrees, it's like, okay, actually a product, some point in time, we need to <laughs> crash it again, <laughs> right? We need to bring it apart and we want to, you know, do, let's say, recycling everything again, right? And therefore, you have again, right? Whether it's cements or whether it's batteries, right? We want to reuse basically these valuable resources that we have, you know, and scarce resources we have, right? To be, again, obviously, right? Such as batteries. I don't know. Currently, I think it's roughly 60%. Don't nail me down, but I think you know it's it's doable. Cobalt and you know all these crazy resources being used, right? After ninety five, maybe even ninety eight percent, right? Isn't that that the process automation and process industry need to rethink the entire production process on the concept of circular economy? Any thoughts on that? This is also a very good thought, and yeah, it's a good bridge from from <laughs> what I said before. Uh, actually, you're right when we talk about life cycle. We are not talking about recycling. We are only talking about life of a product until retirement and maybe replacements. But uh, yeah, why why not having also AI already during uh, the development process and of a product that we see how we can recycle it once we don't use it anymore? And I think this should be, you, you did call it a 360-degree life cycle, right? right? So yeah, circular economy somehow, 360 degree view, right? Of life cycle, exactly. Yeah, yeah and, and I guess this should be something that must be a part of the development process. So once I develop a product, a, a prototype, I should be already aware of how I can recycle it or reuse it. I don't know, whatever it is, yeah, depends. But this should be something every company and every development team or research team already should have in mind. Because I guess today we are concentrating about recycling. So we produce products without even taking not too many thoughts on recycling. And then at the end, then we see what we have and <laughs> how we can uh, put it into parts. So I could really think from product development perspective that we, we are really able to do something like this. Maybe there should be the government again forcing the companies. I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, that's the first but, natural reflex. Like, let's get some laws on. Um, no, I, I don't think that it would be the laws. It, it might be, again, entre entrepreneurs are pushing it, but at the same time also the environment itself pushing us to this point. So I guess once we're forced to it without having a law in place, <laughs> then we will do it. Or if somebody has a really good idea that companies take it and uh, put it into their standard processes. Yeah, I think it's just a perspective. I, I imagine, right? If because it's if the cost of producing, let's say, batteries are that high, right? And it's with with those scores of resources, right? it's it's a win-win, right? Win-win towards sustain sustainability, but also win in lowering the price basically because you, if you can, you know, recycle um, such resources very effectively, right? And I think this, I hope this, this triggers an entire, you know, entrepreneur field, right? Of thinking, you know, how do we enable, you know, this life cycle? And maybe also for, for companies like this crazy Siemens, right? You know, what kind of role one can play in enabling this, you know, from designing products uh, throughout this 360 degree journey? Yeah. So what I'm also thinking about is why not giving the customer already the, the tools or whatever, how to recycle it. So if the customer benefits also from recycling the product, which I sell him, 
So then he's more interested maybe in also buying my products. So if I implement, however I do, something that the customer benefits from, from the recycling and he does not have to pay for it something, then it could also be a great business model. Yeah, I also think that like working more towards circular economy could be also a competitive advantage for the company ultimately. So on the one hand, you can like wait until there are systemic incentives by like governments. Uh, but on the other hand, a company could also just like go to the forefront and be a pioneer and uh, just introduce systems like that because we can probably already expect that something like that will be required in the future. And we like currently already see that there are more and more incentives going in that direction. So maybe there will be also customers that are like willing to pay more if you offer them like a more holistic product. And that yep. you don't don't only think about just selling it, but also what what's next, what's after you're at the end of the product life cycle. Johannes, I also have another question. So you mentioned before that you did that sabbatical. And I think there are like a lot of people out there that are thinking about it, like thinking about doing something like that, but maybe don't really dare to do it, to just like take some time off. Why, why do you think it's important to like maybe sometimes take a step back to maybe to make it possible to move forward again? Like what did it change like with you that you took those two months off now that you return to your job? Yeah, I think I had a lot of time to rethink again, what is my purpose? And if the things I do are driven by this purpose. I also had some time where my, where my brain had not to think too much. So I would not say that in a tree nursery, you don't have to, to use your brain. But uh, at the end, if you only, so if my only workforce is my brain the whole day long, It was great having a face-off where I had to use my hands and my legs so my, my brain could relax a little bit. So it was, I could say, a holiday, even so I was working. And it was a, also a different perspective of a different field of, of business. So um, they are working there with, with live products. So we are working here with, um, with that product, so software, hardware. Yeah, but they're using plants and actually they always have to predict the future and they also have a lot of constraints and a lot of things that could happen which they cannot influence. So if it's not raining or if the sun is permanently shining or not shining, whatever happens, you can't calculate all the stuff, but you have to be, let's say, agile. Yeah, So agile is not just something that you have to do in, in software business, but also in other businesses. And yeah, this was this was for me something which was really great to experience. And I, I just can say to everyone, find something which you really like to do and uh, then take a time off and, and, and try it out. Yeah, I'm considering. 
I'm in. <laughs> I'll turn up. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, yeah. But um, I, I, one question I wanted also to ask is actually, you know, given the aspect, so, you know, it was really tough time, three years, and whenever, you know, the, the easy initiatives, right? Yeah. And, you know, it was somehow cross. You had a team that is not, you know, it's not a team that went by nature out of your department, but somehow, you know, also different complements, capabilities from outside the world, the corporate world, let's say, right, and internal. So is there anything, and I said, like, what could have helped to speed up that thing, right? And I'm, I don't know, sure. can you articulate something? What, in retrospective, from, you know, from the idea to all these different boot camps, hackathons we run, and, you know, initiative you dream, narratives you, you know, pitches you did, right? I don't know how many thousand pitches you did, right? <laughs> right? And now ending up at, you know, being part, at least on a thematic portfolio, right? Is there anything where you say like, hey, people should know, you know, if this would be there, that would be much faster. Is there anything where you say like, this is missing or this is, uh, this would be the super enabler? I, I guess our organization already implemented a lot of these things during the past years. So the Entrepreneurs Bootcamp is just one of it. We had financing with the Innovation Fund, which I don't know, was was also established more or less at the same time. And I guess the most of the tools are already there. And, and right now it's, it's more or less that people get to know how to use these tools, where to get in contact to um, people who use them already. So this is Today, it's, it's much easier than it was three years ago. Still, we have these hierarchy, but this is something every uh, company has. So to come across these things and to not think into silos is always a little bit the difficult thing. But also here, I can see that the mindset changes of the people. So people are really more interested in working together than to respect silos and say, well, this is my area of working and this is uh, your field. So this is really changing. And I guess it's easier step-by-step step for all the, let's say, generations after us. Right. Johannes, you've been working for over a decade now for Siemens in various fields. So which would you say is the greatest lesson that you've learned in the past? <laughs> I learned the, the most things through the last three years now. Yeah, I, I don't know for how many different departments I worked and, and how many different roles and job profiles. What I experienced that strong hierarchies um, can hinder people to take decisions or responsibility. So where I was coming from, I also did not know how to, for example, place my arguments or also to convince decision makers that I have a good idea or how to yeah, make a business out of it. And the stronger the hierarchy is, the, the less the people will try to push ideas forward. Nevertheless, and I, this might be really challenging, I would encourage everyone that regardless of the role and organizational structure to pretend, so your project or your team is your own company. So whenever you, you want to make a decision or you want someone to make a decision, uh, you, you should think, how your little company could benefit or would benefit in, in one, three, five, or 10 years, I don't know, if you make this decision. And also try to pin it down to numbers. So uh, as long as I did not have any responsibility for budget or for whatever, 
I also was not interested in in saying, okay, this is, I don't know, this many euros or dollars or whatever. As soon as you feel a little bit uh, responsible for the salary of you and your team, that moment, then um, it, it's getting much more easier. So this is what, what I le- learned through the last years, more than the seven years before. So my screw hierarchy, get some accountabilities done, is that? Don't <laughs> 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 okay, get frustrated, right? Okay. Yeah, I, I guess it's not easy like this. So you somehow need a hierarchy. You need someone who is at the end responsible, making decision, whatever, but uh, a little bit, yeah, give the people the, the freedom to make decisions, and but also then to take the risk and the responsibility. It's not just if you're playing in the sandbox, then you know, nothing will happen. That's totally in line with uh, Siemens' ownership culture approach. Like, that's also your company and that you should therefore act upon this premise. So, um, Johannes, thank you so much for your time. We're almost at the very end of our session. But before we close this episode, we want to play Authentic Autocomplete with you. So that's our fun ending game. So let me give you for the closing a couple of sentence starters and you will just finish. So Siemens is? Making huge effort to stay amongst the top innovative companies and to attract talents. Beautiful. Corporate entrepreneurs are needed because? There is a lot of potential and ideas which cannot be unlocked by any top-down approach, especially within these crazy times, entrepreneurs are needed more than ever. You're right. Innovation is? Anything that is meant to change what we do or the way we do it. I agree. Corona has taught me? That regardless of what we plan, we should at least keep the ability to react very flexible on anything we cannot control or predict. Maybe that there's also never the one method to solve a problem in our complex and very uh, interdependent world. Right. And last but not least, my personal superpower is? Evolving, developing or uh, catalyzing other people's ideas and thoughts. So <laughs> also Simatic Easy was never my initial idea. So this is my superpower. If somebody has a, a thought, a great thought, a great idea, I can make something out of it. That's a very, very important kind of thing, right? You have there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really important, right? To have those folks as well, right? Enabling functions, right? Enabler and realizer, right? And these are actually, you know, also part of the innovators that we have. And I, I sincerely, uh, Johannes, I'll, I'll put you on that <laughs> that bucket list of innovators in corporate overview. <laughs> thank you, Lee. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks so much, Johannes, for being, you know, for being you and, and spending the time with us. Time flying away was really magnificent. I think we can also do uh, three three episodes on, you know, entrepreneurial journeys in corporates and corporate craziness. But before that, folks out there, stay tuned. There's a lot more to come, actually. Stay bold, committed, and open-minded. And we definitely hear it at the next Siemens AR Lab podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye.